Welcome to Intersectionality and the Diaspora. I'm Clara. And Melo. And we're two Centro Americanas navigating the traumas and triumphs of living in diaspora. We share our truths, experiences, and observations as LA Race Centro Americanas and invite you to join us in our conversations. So grab some cafecito or vinito and sit with us as we explore all the beautiful differences and similarities that make up our global community. Welcome, folks, and thank you for joining us today. Though we originally had planned to feature art from the diaspora this month, we feel it would be irresponsible for us to use our platform to discuss anything other than the legacy of injustice that white supremacy has forced onto our Black community. The recent murders, protests, and riots have moved us into a revolutionary turning point, one where even in this high-speed digital world, there is no distraction powerful enough to turn you away from the truth. I'm sure there are some folks out there who have the luxury of not being affected by the social climate, but we're not here for them. We're here for anyone who, like us, are enraged, heartbroken, and actively challenging the power structures at play. Today, we'll be discussing anti-Blackness and la cultura and how we navigate this colonial inheritance as children growing up in diaspora and now as adults in a radically different world. So, Mello, uh. <laughs> do you recall any anti-Blackness growing up? And if so, what are some examples that you may not have known then but recognize as anti-Blackness now? Um, you know, I think we talked about this before. I don't know if it was just like between you and I or on the podcast. Um, yeah, we, we talked about being called La Negra. Um, you know, that was the, in my family, I, I, from the siblings, I'm the one with the darker complexion. So that I always looked at it as a term of endearment because I know it was like love, right? But then um, everyone would ask my mom, like, oh, but she's not your kid, right? Like when they would see me. So would that be, you know, con- you know considered anti blackness? Like, being called that, I remember how we we talked about the song too. And the, what's it called? Oh, Capullo Sorullo. Yeah, like that. That you know, the only kid that was uh, the husband was the darkest one. So, like, without seeing my dad, they were, everyone would automatically assume, assume that I wasn't my mom's kid. Um, um, and. You know, living in South Central, we, we, you know, like all my, I feel like some of my closest friends were African-American and, but there's been, and then even my mom's, um, her, our neighbor, uh, Delano, uh, you know, we would always just hang out with him and, you know, like uh, coexist with him. But I remember a couple of times, you know, um, my own family would make comments like about, like saying, like, oh, ese moreno, or, um, you know, like stereotypes, like that we, uh, that I grew up hearing, you know? Yeah. So I remember we were talking about like certain words that they get called. I don't even want to like say it. Um, growing up so as an adult I realized like wow that's like horrible you know like there's a word that starts with an M that they you know that Al Cultura likes to call African Americans mm-hmm. and like there's just like all these stereotypes in them and and then I also, like, my mom, I, I think I had shared this to you. She, there's an anti-blackness against indigenous people, too. Mm. Uh, in Guatemala, like, the people that associate with their um, 
Spanish side or, or they are like white passing or kind of like rechazan lo indígena, um, they're called Latinos. They're seen mm -hmm. as superior than the indigenous people. My, and my mom recently told me a story about how um, my grandma um, would tell her to stop singing the indigenous songs um, that she had learned from a friend. And she didn't understand why my grandma was acting that way. And that's anti-blackness, right? Yeah, and I think it's really important to make the distinction between anti-blackness and anti-indigeneity. Yeah. I haven't pronounced that properly. I mean, at its core, at its foundation, they are all stemmed from white supremacy, colonialism, right? And it's all about creating that color hierarchy, you know, like where white is always at the top, even in Guatemala, where you know, whiteness was, you know, imported, mm -hmm. so to speak, right? And so, like, nobody who is indigenous to Guatemala is white. Yeah. However, through years and decades and generations of colonialism and um, white supremacy, within that, we've established, you know, a sense of colorism or racial hierarchy. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's one of those hard things to navigate, I think. And especially like when I think about anti-blackness in Central America, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a, it's just so nuanced, you know? <laughs> I don't wanna say that they're the same and I don't wanna say that they're different because at, like, at the, like I said, at the end of the day, the foundation of it is white supremacy and mm -hmm. colonialism, right? It's these outsiders coming in, invading this land and, you know, oppressing everyone and making it their own and putting in their own rules. And, you know, it puts us against each other. Oh. Yeah, and, and, you know, I I'm thinking about, you know, we went to the same middle school. So um, there was this boy that was in my class uh, now I have all this time to, you know, think about past. And there was this boy in our class, and all my friends would make fun of him, you know. Um, and I'm thinking about it, like, why was it that they made fun of him? Um, and it was because he was, quote, unquote, a negrito, right? And they would talk Spanish, like, in, in front of him and make fun of him, saying, like, you know, oh, like about his skin tone and um, like about his hair. And I wouldn't like stand up for him. You know, I could that like I could have stood up for him. Right. But I'm, I would just look at everyone and just kind of think like, why are they making fun of him? Because he was clearly um, from Belize, mm -hmm. you know, and one day like I you know, sitting next to him and I told him like, hey, um, why don't you like talk back to them? Because I knew he knew how to speak Spanish, but why don't you talk back to them? And he's just like, well, um, I don't know. So when they were out on the PE yard and then he, you know, they started making fun of him again. So I was like nudging him, like stand up for yourself, you know? So he finally got up and he said, he talked back to them in Spanish and told them all these cuss words, right? And then they're all amazed, like, what the heck? And then I turned around and I was like, he's from Belize. <laughs> you know, like, uh, but he speaks Spanish. Like, in, in Belize, it's more um, the, they speak a Creole, right? But he, mm -hmm. it's a frontera entre Guatemala, right? So, like, he knew how to speak Spanish. And I, Dude, like, what, what the heck? Like, what, what did he, what did he do? You know, so I guess it's that, like, that learned behavior. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. It was very sad. He, yeah. all he did was just exist. 
And I'm sure it wasn't his first time dealing with that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm also sure it's not the first time that you were confronted with a situation where, you know, you felt powerless. Mm -hmm. You couldn't intercept or interject. I'm sorry. Um, And I think part of it is because there is this reinforcement of that behavior in our culture. It's like these kids, these non-Black kids have observed and learned this behavior from somewhere and it's perpetuated and it's normalized. It's normalized to other, you know, people who are darker than you or whose hair is different from yours. Um, And it all goes back to like, you know, God, it goes back to the slave trade in Central Mm -hmm. America. You know, some countries will still claim that there are no black people there and it's like bullshit. Yeah, that's it's like no that there's no that is absolute and total like lies being you know in my well my classes like you know at LA where I got my um master's the we had to take a social linguistics class and looking at these books and doing all this research like you know how much like uh, beat games, they call like, um, you know, merging of different languages. Um, it's all like, most of them are like at the root African languages. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of African languages spoken there, like beat games. Um, uh, and even like the culture, like the music in Colombia, you know, those, uh, like it's all they're all the root of of this culture, right? Like African culture. It's, yeah, I mean, all of the music yes, in Central America, yes. our cumbias that we love so much, like yeah, on. like in Vallenatos too in Colombia, because they have this, um, you know, they have I forgot what they were called, oh, palanqueros, palanqueros. Like they they also um, it's this um, language, but. The, from Palenque, they call it, it's called Palenquero, um, and they, you know, I was reading stuff on them, and then they were saying, like, that they didn't even want to associate with, that, with um, like, that Spanish culture, right? They, they were fine without any uh, connection. So, mm-hmm. it's like, why? Because you outcast anybody that's different, that doesn't fit your norm, right? And I feel like a lot of it is, I don't want to say unintentional. I I, I feel like it's a very subconscious bias for a lot of uh, people in La Cultura, you know, like, I feel like I, like thinking back, I was never explicitly told like, oh, Black people are less than. Mm -hmm. I was never told that. However... I always, I was always like witness to how black people were treated differently, even myself, like how I as the darkest one in my family was treated differently, you know, and yeah, like they, my family claims that it's a term of endearment, but I don't see it that way. I've never seen it that Mm -hmm. way. And it's not because I don't find black to be beautiful. It's because I don't see the reason why I should be othered based by my skin color, you know, like that's, that's not something that, you know, I don't know. I just feel like it's not something that is okay to do. Like you don't do that to a person. You don't do that to a child. And yet our entire society is built on doing Mm -hmm. that, you know, and I don't know. Like it, it brings out a lot of feelings for me. you know, and yeah, like even you know with the song, like oh. we were. So like, let me let me talk yeah. about the song real quick. Let me give some. Let me give our um, our friends some insight. So the song in reference is Capullo um, Soruyo, uh, which is an awesome yeah. cumbia song by La Sonora de Dinamita. Hey, we hear it at every single party, mm-hmm. right? And we will fucking jam to that song. And ever since I was a kid, that has been my song. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the song is about um, 
Capullo, who is, you know, married to Cerullo, and Capullo has, you know, eight kids. All of them are blonde except one. And so the husband, Cerullo, is like, well, you know, is the black one mine? And the response is, well, he's the only one that's yours. Mm -hmm. And it's like basically telling him that, like, I've been, you know, unfaithful to you and to our family this entire time. And the result of that is, you know, all of these beautiful blonde haired, blue eyed children, and you can keep the black one for yourself. And at the end of the song, like he leaves with the black child. And like, as a kid, like I listened to that song and I think about like, well, I didn't go with my dad. Like my dad left when I was four. He didn't take me with me, him with me. Like is, was it because I was too dark? Like, I don't know. you know or was it like whatever reason but like those are the things that as a child you process and you understand as something that is harmful something that is othering you and making you different from everybody else and especially within your own home yeah and you know that that happened to to me as well um I am I have the darkest tone of my siblings you know um and I also have straight hair and everyone in my family has curly or wavy hair. So I um, I would always like, I remember we have the same hairdresser. We all have the same hairdresser. So she would ask me, how come you have straight hair? You know, how come you're different, right? And you have a, a darker skin tone than your, than your family. Um, and I remember like my, you know, my parents would just kind of like laugh and then they would be like, because she's adopted. Mm. You know, and I'd be like, or like, and my dad would just kind of laugh and he'd be like, oh, we found you in the trash. We picked you up. You know, and then it's, it, and I would always kind of like in the back of my head be like, oh, so I'm different. Mm-hmm. Look like the rest of you. And I don't think I look like my dad. And even though he's he has a darker skin tone, and like it wasn't until I saw my aunt because she resembled me up, like okay, I I am not adopted. You know that was always in the back yeah. of my head, like well, she looks like me, so I'm good. You know, <laughs> like and, and then like like you were saying, like that that was your song. Me too. You know, my song was La Negra Tomasa. Yeah, you're you're totally right. Like I would always think about it like a term of enjoyment until I was an adult. I was like, Yeah, I'm different. I'm a, you're placing me in the other category category. Which is already something that as you know, immigrants and children of immigrants, it's something that we're already experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so to have that extra layer of othering and you know I want to say ostracization even um that's heavy and I think that's one of the forces that like guide you to have you know relationships you know interracial relationships right it's like for me at least I you know please know that I'm only speaking for myself um and if anyone like aligns with that awesome you know happy to chat more with it but like you know I'm not I don't know like I I have like my entire upbringing and like myself like I have black culture to thank for who I am like really and truly you know I mean yeah growing up in South Central and going you know to the schools that I went to and having the amazing friends that I had and like being able to you know, learn from them and experience life with them and hear their stories and like see where our alignments were. It was beautiful mm-hmm. and challenging. And, you know, it was, a, it was almost like an escape for me. Like, you know, I wasn't, I was too dark to be at home. I was, you know, it was muy negra para estar en la casa, pero, you know, like, I don't know. I can't explain it. I, I really struggle with this and I want to be I want to be really um, careful of how I come across. Mm-hmm. So don't want to unintentionally harm 
anybody, you know, like with what I'm saying or with what I'm feeling, but you know, my experience, like this is, this is my experience, right? Mm -hmm. This is valid. It's like, you know, we as Central Americans who, you know, have been displaced are carrying this legacy of white supremacy that honestly, I don't think we're realizing it until now, or at least we're not putting words to it until now. You know, like I've been seeing a lot of Latinx for black lives or, you know, and it's like, no, like there are black Latinxes. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, there's no distinction, I remember, you know? And, oh my God. Like, remember, I think I had told you about, um, it was, Gosh, I forgot. Oh, so one of my friends had sent me a, uh, it was during Cinco de Mayo, she had sent me this um, text and it was a, a woman and she kind of, she had her, you know, like typical uh, traditional, um, you know, traje on. And, mm -hmm. um, she's like, her friend said, oh, shaking my head like this this person looks black and it's for a Cinco de Mayo um like you know like a little poster like saying happy Cinco de Mayo and I and I was like well she's Afro-Latina you know and she was kind of like amazed right I'm like yeah because they exist you know like uh, and she was just thinking that, you know, it was like, oh, this was a wrong poster. Explain yeah. to her and told her, hey, you know, uh, they, we exist, you know, like, uh, Afro-Latinas exist. There's, uh, you know, just like here, there's, um, what am I trying to say? There's like a, uh, word what I was trying to say. Um, you know, like, I, I guess people just think that it can't be um, uh, African mixing with uh, Latinos, right? And you're right, like, it should just be, because what did you say, Black Latinx? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you said like, Black Latinx for... Uh, Oh, Latinx for Black lives. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like a lot, of, a lot of people don't know that, like, you know, because of the uh, colonialism. And there's just this blatant denial of it, too. And in that denial is also, like, the need to separate oneself. Like, I mean, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I know that you know, if you dated somebody black in my family or somebody that was darker than you in my family, like, you know, you would get called out for it. And, and I think about like my mom with my dad and like what that could have been like for them, you know, and like how that shaped the dynamics of their relationship and the perception of people around them. Um, I mean, I've heard from other people that my dad was a, you know, good person or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, like, if you're an absent father, you're not a yeah. good father. So, yeah. um, it, uh, um, so I, I don't really know. I've never observed. Yeah. But what I do know is that he was called Negro, El Negro, y yo era su negrita. Mm -hmm. And to me that really speaks to the inherent need to make people within our culture different and inferior. Yeah. And in so many ways, I felt inferior to my family, to my sister, especially because my sister is this beautiful, beautiful white passing woman. And she's always just been such an incredible, you know, soul. And I've always been in her shadow. I like literally was her shadow, <laughs> you know, and, and it just like blows my mind when I think about like how different 
you know, her life is from mine and how much of that has to do with how she looks compared to me. And that's not to disregard any of her accomplishments and that's not to, you know, imply anything negative towards her. I think it's just a reflection of our society and as our culture that, you know, prioritizes lighter skin and, you know, reinforces that idea that, you know, blackness is just something, you know, to be observed, I guess. Um, yeah. So I'm just, you know, and we, I think we talked about this and we said, like, in, in my experience, the, I've been called La India. You know, like, oh, my husband too, he's been called that word. And, you know, it's like the anti indigenous feeling, right? Because we're darker mm. than anybody else around us. And I have experienced that. But, and it, it makes you feel so horrible, right? But then I start yeah. thinking to myself, like, like what what should I what should I be feeling ashamed for because you know I I love like my people right like yes I do I have like more indigenous blood than my family um but it, you know those it's a racial slur right so which brings me to my next yeah. question. I'm going to move this ahead because we spent a, a pretty good amount of time just circling around this first question. And I think it's just because... So much beef. It's such yeah. A, yeah, it's such a hard conversation to have. We've been... We've been putting it off. <laughs> we really have. And I know it's because it makes me uncomfortable. Mm. And it makes me... It like makes me sad, right? Um <sighs> But these are the conversations that need to be happening. Mm-hmm. Like we need to be asking ourselves and our families and our friends these questions, like, you know, recognizing what the problem is, identifying what it is, and then learning how to move forward with that, you know? And so my next question is, you know, what are some ways that you've perpetuated anti-blackness? And when did you realize that it was harmful to, you know, to perpetuate that? Well, yeah, like just even thinking about that term of endearment, right? Like, it's like, why, you know, why even use those terms? Um, and then, um, you know, before I wouldn't tell like my parents, hey, like, shouldn't be saying this kinds of things, you know? Um, and I let them say things about somebody on their block, right? Um, mm-hmm. They also, you know, or even like now what with, you know, they had the protests and people rioting. I I finally started speaking up to my mom. Okay, that's not I'm not letting this go anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not letting you talk about like this anymore. And this has been going on for a while, but luckily my parents they listen, you know. Um, there's people that you that will listen and you know grow and there's people that won't right so they're the kind of people that will listen to me and just stop using the terms or um you know there are some times my mom's like oh wait I I forgot you know (laughs) like and so retract her words um before you know I would just kind of listen to her just be saying like, oh, and say, you know, oh, I just feel so bad saying, like repeating things I've heard, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would never stop her. Or, you know, friends, like neighbors. Um, and, you know, having this talk with my husband, um, a neighbor had, you know, uh, some negative stuff about Black Lives Matter. Um, and my husband, he's like, I let him talk. But at the end, I tell him, let me go back 
to you back with that and like let me tell you that it's not it's not about that it's about equality you know so i'm like oh wow like so these conversations have been really you know opening a lot of people's minds right mm -hmm. um, so that's that's how i you know before I, I wouldn't say anything and now i'm just like i don't care i'm gonna say something yeah and honestly like i still struggle with that mm -hmm. i mean i struggle with doing the calling out especially with my family um and I think part of it is that I don't see my family often. I live very far away from them and I have lived far away for, I don't know, going like on 15 years now, I guess. And so when I get to see them, I, you know, I become conflicted as to whether I want to take that, you know, take a moment in which, let's say, for example, we're singing along to a song and they say, the oh, no, yeah, no. And like, there's a part of me that's like, he really shouldn't say mm -hmm. that. Oh yeah. But then there's another part of me that like, doesn't want to create that conflict because I don't see them very often. And I don't want to like, you know, just like, I don't know. And it's, it's ridiculous. It shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't feel this way. I should feel empowered to like say, Hey, you know what? That's not fucking cool, dude. That's not, that word is not for you. Yeah. You know? And honestly, like, that's a very hard lesson that I even had to learn. And again, I think, like I was saying earlier, like, you know, growing up in South Central and like being immersed in Black culture and, you know, like, I honestly, like, maybe about a year ago was able to get to the point where I'm like, oh, shit, that is not okay for me to do. I should not be saying that word. I cannot believe that I ever thought it was okay to say that word. And like... You know, even though some people will meet, you know, make the assumption that I am black or I, you know, whatever, yeah. um, like I have that it's not in my place to perpetuate that violence, you know, and that's what it is. It's perpetuating mm -hmm. violence. Words are fucking powerful. And when we allow words, especially certain words to be said we are perpetuating that harm we are perpetuating that oppression and we may not realize it we may not think it's a big deal but at the end of the day what are we doing we're lifting up white supremacy and we are continuing to oppress black gosh people. yes perfect perfect way of saying it um and you know my my friend he uh is a uh, ethnic studies teacher uh, and which we, which everyone fought to have in schools, right? So, um, and a bunch of people were against it, but he he was telling us that, and that his he works in South Central, and his own students were like, "You can say the word uh, because you're like um, you, you're an honorary member of our culture, right?" And he's like, "No, I'm not going to say that. It's not happening yeah. because I have not felt." And have never gone through the same thing you guys have gone through. And that's what, you know, when I first started dating my husband, um, he, well, my boyfriend at the time, right? He, all his friends would say it. And he had um, one of his friends saved as that on his uh, contact, on his contact list, on his phone. And I was like, you need to change this. This is not okay. Oh, but we grew up saying that. I'm like, yeah, but it's not you. You know, yeah, you, you, he's doing the same thing, like white supremacy, right? Like, you, you just can't do this. And then once you know, we had a talk with my friend Scott. He's like, okay. And then he's like, I can't be saying that word. Like, you grew. He he grew up in Huntington Park, and you know, listening to hip hop and everything. And but it's not your word. Right, you can't. No. So, it, it's it's great to have like people that can educate you, and there's also like it takes two to tangle, right? Like yeah. you have to be willing oh. to listen. Excellent. Yes, absolutely. And I think. I think it's a step further than educating or maybe it's a step back from educating. I don't know. 
Because I feel like it's not, it's not my job to educate people. I'm not a teacher anymore. Yeah. I quit the time <laughs> yeah. ago. You know, like that costs me like time and energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's exhausting to have to explain yourself to people all the time. So I think of it more as an opportunity to remind people mm-hmm. like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, like that word's not for you. Yeah. Or, hey, why would you say something like that? Or, hey. You know, like, you know, what's wrong with, you know, your hair being coarse, you know, like, things like that. Just like, coming back to the root of it, being able to have a conversation about it, and, you know, I guess trying to create an understanding. Um, And it's hard. It's hard because I think our, as humans, like, our instinct is to be defensive. Yeah. And I feel, especially with, like, the older people in our families, you know, like, some of them are really stuck in their ways. Yeah, but that's still not an excuse, you know? No, it's not. Absolutely. I'm not not saying to excuse it. I'm just saying, like, that it gets harder to have those conversations with some people. And, you know, like, I fear that. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, like, I fear that, like, for people who are my age or younger, you know, that like aren't having these conversations or are dismissing these conversations or not really attuned to the realities of it, like that is their future. They will be the ones one day that just don't want to hear it and the problem is going to continue to perpetuate and we're still going to have the injustice that we have now, you know, unless we break that cycle. Yeah, and it starts with, you know, uh, well, uh, in my case, it starts with me saying something. You know, I'm constantly having talks with my husband about, um, you know, like Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, uh, the LGBTQ. Uh, and so I, you know, he's one, I, a lot of people don't think before they speak, you know, so I always tell him, like, just, just talk to me before you say something. You know, like, and yeah. so he's like, yeah. okay, like, well, can I ask these kinds of questions? I'm like, oh, well, and then I explain things to him, you know, like, and there's a lot of people stuck in their bubbles, right? They, or they don't want to grow. So but there are some people that I just kind of let talk, I let them talk and that's perpetuating it, right? I just let them talk and don't say anything. And I think it's just time for me to be. Because with my parents, I can I can say like, hey, I even told my mom the other day like, you can't be saying that stuff. I'm tired of you old folks. But that's how I talk to her, you know, like you old folks are. I'm tired of you old folks being stuck in your ways. You can't be doing this anymore. I'm not going to make this an excuse that you're older and you know you you're stuck in your ways. And you're not going to change. No, that's not acceptable anymore. Right. And it never was. It never. Yeah, was. it never was. Yeah, that's not acceptable, <laughs> right? And then she'll 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 be like, oh, okay, um, let me retract my statement, or you know, I'm like, okay, just make sure you don't say it again, right? And so, um, because and then you know, there's been a thing about how Univision is depicting the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. You know, sometimes I'm like, does she get it from watching all these news? Does she get these ideas from that? So uh, I tell her, this what you're stating is wrong, and we have a, you know, a good conversation about it. But there's some people that I just like, they're never going to learn, and so I kind of just stay quiet, and I feel really bad about it. Well, that's not helping anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I, and that's, and again, like you said, like, yeah, that is perpetuating yeah. it. Like silence. Mm-hmm. I, I saw this somewhere on the internet. Silence is violence. Yeah. Your silence is you being complicit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I feel like we're all complicit in this. And especially as, you know, as a Salvadoreña living in diaspora, you know, coming from a country that will, as a collective, you know, say that there are no Black people here. No, 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 wrong. And then, like, you know, coming here and seeing how Black people are treated. Mm -hmm. 
and like being conditioned to see or to you know believe that you know well that's just how it is it's like no that's not how it is that is how it's been designed Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's okay and that doesn't mean that I have to give into that mindset and the reality is is that like as an individual I've been conditioned and subjected to have that mentality and you know and it's it's inherited Mm -hmm. You know, I got that from my family. It's a learned behavior. We are products of our environment. We are products of, you know, a very anti-Black machista culture. We are living in a very white supremacist capitalist society that devalues Black human life. Mm -hmm. And so being able to step in when you hear the slightest um, like disagreement or the slightest violation towards a black body, a black person, a black human being. Yeah, you're reluctant to step in because you've been taught your whole life, you've been conditioned your whole life that they don't matter. It's like- and it's awful. It's fucking awful. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't even know what to say. I'm just so sad. Well, and this is why we are where we are today, right? Like, this is why we are yelling from the mountaintops that Black Lives Matter. Because for so long, we have been conditioned that they don't. And even with this, like, I just feel like we have been putting it off because it's going to, like, cause... Yeah, dude, I don't want to cry. Yeah, I feel you. It's not, these are not easy conversations. These conversations have been left out by design. These conversations are intentionally left out so that we don't recognize and remedy the injustice that are Black brothers and sisters have been enduring for centuries. And we're we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Like their liberate our liberation is not gonna come until black liberation comes first. That's the reality. Yeah, And I feel like our culture has a way of distancing ourselves from Black culture. I mean, I feel like I do it, I do it inadvertently, like just right now, like Latinx culture is Black culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I think, you know, that's one of the important things that you need to continuously remind yourself of, right? It's like the daily check-ins with yourself or the momentary minute by minute check-ins, like, you know, like, yeah, like, I, yeah. It's like, you know, like how, how we were like, okay, um, like we want to ask like that, how do you check yourself on the daily, right? Yeah. Um, What are the ways that you actively dismantle your internalized anti-blackness? Um, I think it's like I'm gonna check those people's people around me, like you know, starting with my parents, right, with my husband, with my neighbors, right. Instead of just being like with my family, I I feel comfortable enough to talk to them about it, but then like with other people, I shouldn't just be quiet. Who cares what people think, right? we're not being silent about it. <sighs> A whirlwind of emotions. I know. 
And like the grand scheme of it, like these emotions are really just our discomfort. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to sit in this discomfort. We need to be able to examine these feelings and understand where they come from and understand that these feelings were seeds that were planted inside of us generations ago. And they continue to thrive and flourish in the most, you know, insidious and discreet ways sometimes. You know, and it's up to us as individuals to see that reality for what it is and, you know, replant those seeds, replant the seeds of truth, of acceptance, of equality. I feel weird about equality. I don't really like equality. I'm more of an equity person. Equity over equality anytime, any day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, I don't know. I will be very transparent and just like say that this is a very hard conversation to have. Like, I don't know how to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. I usually just have it with myself, Mm -hmm. you know, but being able to articulate it and vocalize it out loud and respond to somebody else's, you know, perspectives is really helpful in, you know, reframing anti-Blackness and where it comes from. Like why this is inside of me, you know? It's like, like I said, it's inherited. You know? Learned, not learned behavior. And so, like, the next question is, like, what do you, where do you go from here? This isn't, like, something where you just check a box and you're done. Like, no, this is a daily, lifelong practice. When you're undoing centuries of internalized oppression, it's going to take more than just listening to a podcast, reading a few books, or, you know, using a hashtag. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Um, I think (laughs) I think I'm going to take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath with me. In. Out. I think that where we are right now with the world where we are in this journey for revolution and black liberation, these conversations as awkward and as uncomfortable as they are, are vital to the success of humanity, Mm -hmm. of black people. uh... Of all people oppressed by white supremacy, patriarchy and imperialism, like, these are the first few steps to take. They're not easy. They are painful. They are, again, uncomfortable and awkward. And, you know, I probably messed up so many times while talking to you. And it's okay. Because I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm trying to be better. And I think that's a realistic, you know, endeavor. And so I encourage our listeners to have those difficult, awkward conversations, mm-hmm. you know, ask these questions, ask them to yourself, ask them to a partner or a friend and sit in that discomfort and learn where to go from there. Yes. That's a start. It is a start. Uh-huh. You know, we can't get anywhere if we don't get started, so. Yeah. Um, and so we are at time. And I didn't, we didn't get through all the questions that I had written out for us. So I feel like we might continue this conversation yeah. just as awkwardly and uncomfortably. <laughs> and we might mess up more. Who knows? Probably. Well, it, but it um, needs to be done, right? It needs to, we need to talk about it. It has yeah. to it's like 
Mi lucha es su lucha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there should be a hundred more parts to this. <laughs> well, you know what? The reality is, is that all of the work that we, you and I do, mm -hmm. all of the conversations we have are tied to Black liberation. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the intersectionality of it all, right? Right. We will be putting um, some links, right? Um, some reading. Yeah, so in our stories and on our Instagram, we will be sharing links for various um, mutual aid funds or GoFundMes for um, organizations out there that are doing the work, the grassroots work. Mm -hmm. Um, we're also putting suggestions for anti-racism books to read and websites and folks to follow, just doing what we can to, you know, share, share the knowledge, share the wisdom, share the truth. And, you know, we're always here as well. Like, you know, if at any point something was said that, you know, touched a nerve, reach out to us, you know, send us a DM on Instagram. We're always here. We always reply back. Sometimes it takes us a while, but we do it anyway. <laughs> um, because this is an open conversation mm -hmm. and it's going to be an ongoing conversation. And we invite everyone to join us. And we respectfully and humbly thank you for sharing your time with us. And until then... We wish you the absolute best. Adios. Thank you again for joining us today. Follow us on Instagram for updates and more on intersectionality underscore in underscore diaspora. We leave you with the words of the great Audre Lorde. I have come to believe over and over again that what is most important to me must be spoken, made verbal, and shared, even at the risk of having it bruised or misunderstood. With love, gratitude, and hope, Clara and Melo signing off. <laughs>